Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Rob Thrasher with Spotlight on Success. We're talking to entrepreneurs, business owners, business founders, and even sometimes we'll talk to an occasional sports player. We we talked to um, somebody in upstate New York who was on track to uh, he broke all kinds of records in in uh, football, uh, high school football, believe it or not, in upstate New York. Took his team, him and a couple other key players, took their team to the to the state championship. Uh, but but it doesn't have to be business uh, related is the thing. So if you think you might know a guest or you're, or you're think you might have something interesting, an interesting story to tell. We're looking at all kinds of success, not just business success. The show is sponsored by lifeandhomes.com. And speaking of a success story, that's that's a great story. We're talking about a company that started with a husband and wife up in Holland, Pat, New York, and they built the company into a very rapidly growing company. They have a brand new business plan that I'd be happy to talk with anybody about off the air. If you are interested in the story, I'm always happy to talk about it. You can call me at 315-235-3753. We have a guest tonight by the name of Laura Allen. She's with a company called 15 Second Pitch, and that's 1-5 the number, the word second, S-E-C-O-N-D, and the word pitch, all one word, dot com, 15secondpitch.com. How you doing, Laura? I am very well, Rob. How are you? Very good. I just want to also remind everybody that the guest call-in number is area code 646-478-4353. That's 646-478-4353. Laura has, uh, an, an, of course, an interesting story. She wouldn't be here if she didn't have an interesting story. Um, unlike a lot of entrepreneurs we get here, um, Laura is on her first venture, and it's going well. A lot of times we, we see first, second, and third ventures that, that don't don't go as well. So I'm happy to hear that Laura's doing well. In addition to that, she also doesn't have an entrepreneurial background in her family, which is so maybe uh, Laura's the first one in a, a long line of entrepreneurs and business people, which would be cool. Um, a lot of times, Laura, we have, you know, family members, grandma, grandpa ran the general store, stuff like that um, in the background. But uh, yours is slightly different in the sense that you didn't actually have the um, the entrepreneurial background. So you, you're, you're hopefully you you didn't necessarily need to. A lot of times people will learn from the mistakes, the pros and cons. You see the business thing. And so so you must be a fast learner, I'm guessing, huh? <laughs> well, you know, I didn't have the the parents or I didn't have the family with the entrepreneurial, with an actual entrepreneurial business. However, my dad was always someone who would say to me, you need to get a million people to give you a dollar and then you're a millionaire. So it, that was sort of what I grew up with, this idea that, you know, you're never going to get rich working for someone else. I think I think that was always my dad's take on the idea of work. Yeah, you can get by, you can do okay, but he always wanted more for me. Interesting. So so he was a 9-to-5-er, but he had an entrepreneurial spirit within him. You could tell that. He, he probably he probably was dying to start his own business at one point, but as we know, you know, you you got to have the, the check, and you got to pay the bills before you can venture out. So, so that's awesome. You, you said even though he didn't have the entrepreneurial background, he had that spirit going for him. The the, the million people times a dollar thing is a, is pretty wise, uh, pretty entrepreneurial. I like that idea. Um, you you got spurred uh, into business by the uh, events of September 11th. Is that right? That is right because I was in New York City, and I, I think. 
all around the country and even all around the world after 9-11, the economy just tanked. And I was always someone who was known for having a big network. I made a point of building up a big professional network before 9-11. And so everyone I knew was calling me up and they were saying, Laura, who do you know? I need a job. Um, you know, I haven't paid the rent in three months. Who do you know? I'll work at Starbucks. I'll wait tables. Who do you know? And for the first time since I had been in New York, and I moved to New York in 1989, for the first time ever, I didn't have anybody to connect them to. No one was hiring. There were no jobs. There weren't jobs in the New York Times. It was just bleak. So, you know, I, I didn't want to be, you know, yet another person telling them nothing's going on. You know, you're stuck. So what I started doing is I started meeting with my friends and friends of friends at the local Starbucks, and I would just tell them what I knew about networking. And at that moment, networking wasn't as big as it is right now because we know with Facebook and Twitter and all of these online social networks, it's critical. Uh, but at the time, it really was a lot of face-to-face -face networking, and I knew that if my friends didn't get better at networking at these events, they were never going to get a job. So that's the one thing that I could offer them. That's the one thing that I could teach them was here is how you network. This is what you can say to people, and you need to be specific. You know, now's not the time to be shy. Um, now's the time to get out there and meet people and let them know what you do because that's the only way you're going to get a gig when the economy gets better. Wow. So you had a network, which is nice, and I always tell people, I'm like, listen, if you don't have investors, you've got to have a network. If you don't have a network, you better find investors because without either of those two things, it's a long, hard uh, roll. It's, it's up, upstream you're rolling if you don't have either a network or investors. I've always said that. So you started out with a network. Now you say originally, what's it like for an 18-year-old uh the first day, and tell me about the first day in the Big Apple from rural Oneida, upstate New York, in <laughs> New York City. What was your first day like? Culture shock, or did you spend a lot of time in New York City anyway? My first day in New York, I had visited New York three times prior to moving there when I was 18. Oh, and nice. what what you need to remember is the New York City of 1989 is very different from the New York City of 2010. So New York City of 2010, you can literally take your kids to Times Square at 1 in the morning and nothing bad's going to happen because it's been very Disneyfied and it's very touristy, it's very safe. In 1989, uh, there were drug dealers on every corner. You'd hear gunshots all the time. It was grimy. It was disgusting. Um, it was great. I totally loved it. <laughs> but, it, you know, complete culture shock. And But it, it was just the the movement of the city, the ambition of the people in the city. And I, I think it's, you know, after being there for 20 years, I'm definitely happy to be back in upstate New York because it gets a little exhausting after a while, I have to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Sure thing. I, I remember um, it's invigorating being in New York City. And, and it's also, like you say, I don't, I don't know, how many years did you say? 20? 
How many years? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I, I'm a little less. I can do two days. <laughs> and then I have to, I have to run back, back to upstate New York. But I love this city, but it's like invigorating, and especially if you're doing business. Because when you do business, I don't know, there's just something about when you're either, whether you're driving in or flying in, when you see the big, the big buildings approaching, you start to get a little pumped up, and, and you're like a little more kind of on the edge, and you're just ready to, ready to score some business. Those big buildings to me look like big dollar signs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you say... You say it, you say you were shy when you grew up. Is that is that real, or are you, you just joshing me on that? It's <laughs> it's you, absolutely. You, 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 you tell us something. Our Harvard, Columbia, Wharton, and Cornell to name a few. Is that there? Are you kidding me? You were shy when you grew up. What happened? New York City, right? <laughs> Here here's what happened. Here's what happened, and it happened before New York City. This is actually um, a good plug if your kids or if you know people who want to become involved in the drama program, that's what really broke me out of my shyness is when I was 16, I realized something inside of me said, you know what, I'm going to have trouble interviewing. I'm going to have trouble talking to people, you know, because I was so shy. I had trouble even making eye contact with people. And it's just, I grew up in a... I grew up an only child, and, you know, I was, I was raised to be very polite. My mother is a very meticulous person. She's a great person. I was taught to wait my turn. And something inside of me when I was 16 told me, you know what, the world is changing. The world is changing, and no one's waiting for that last slice of pie. You need to get out there. You need to make things happen. So I went out for um, the school play at that moment. I happened to get a lead in the school play, which scared me to death. And it's still one of the scariest experiences of my life because you're up there on stage. I had about 60 pages to learn. There was a lot of dialogue. And that really, that was my education. That was how I broke myself out of my shell was getting up on stage and confronting those demons of, of just being up there. And, yeah, you know, forgetting your lines and, and being stuck up there with everybody looking at you. Uh, many nightmares about that experience, but a great experience um, and a perfect education for me as an entrepreneur and as a public speaker because crazy stuff happens. You know, um, the, the mic guy disappears before you're going to walk out in Boston to 200 people at oh, a wow. very high-end law firm, you know, you better figure something out in a hurry. Yeah, you got to. So I think that's that's a long-winded answer to your question, but that's really what it was. Oh, uh, that's good. I, I actually I do I hear a lot of that, and any any kind of performing is really good for that, whether it's um, on stage with an instrument or. You know, the the whole, the, obviously what you did was the ultimate and scary, which is you get up on stage and, and talk in front of people and have to remember lines and, and whatnot. But that that's interesting. So in, in a way, you might you might argue that all the math and science, whatever they accomplished, <laughs> you accomplished more doing drama club than anything else. So you were ready in New York City when you got there. You were out of your shell and um, ready to. Now, now, when you went to New York City, I, I also noticed, you and I had something in common, which I thought was really cool. We were both in, in the email marketing industry, um, and I still am. I sell email servers to bring it in-house, whereas um, the company you work for um, is the ESP, right? Is that how you describe it? 
ASP, Application Service Provider. They're, they're an email service provider too, right? Like an outsource? Yes. Yeah. And, yep. and tell us about that because this is interesting in another way. In a sense, you kind of started a company before you started your own company because the way you described where you were hired and the company is called Cheetahmail, cheetahmail.com, um, you were one of the, you were the first hire there? I was the first hire at Cheetah Mail. Wow. And it happened through my network. Again, going right back to that network, there was a guy I knew. His name was Sander. And he was the smartest tech guy I knew at that moment. And I said, Sander, you know, I'm looking for my next thing. Um, you know, what's out there? What should I be doing? And he said, I don't know, but I know these two people. They're really smart, Irene and Zavid. They're really super smart, and they're doing something called Cheetah Mail. And I don't know, but I put my money on them. So I think you should go over there and see what they're all about. And I love the name of the company, first of all. So yeah. Cheetah, because I'm, I'm, very, I'm, very much, um, I'm very much an individual, and I had this vision of wearing cheetah suits and cheetah pumps and cheetah hats, which I did, um, and it creating this culture around this idea of the cheetah. Um, and it was a really fun, amazing place to work. And I was the first hire. It was I did everything except for program the product. Wow. So what they did, they built they built the platform smartest people you're ever going to meet, hardest working people you're ever going to meet. They would work 20-hour days, just like it was the norm, very dedicated to the business. And I fell in love with this idea of creating your own destiny. Um, it, it's the best job I've ever had. Even, even having my own business is not as exciting in some ways as working at that company because we had beautiful office space. Um, right near Wall Street. We had an outdoor deck. Um, it was really, we went from being in a tiny little 8 by 10 room, the three of us, to um, having floors of space in New York City, right near Wall Street. And, and they're, now, if you were to see their office space, I worked with them at another company in 2005. It looks like Star Trek. You know, you have these doors that, you know, open up. And just to think, wow, I had, I had a hand in building this, you know, really huge company that's been extremely successful. That's cool. So it was fun. Did, did you go, you went to college first. Did you go to Cheetah Mail right after college? No, I, I, took, I took a few detours um, before I got to Cheetah Mail. I was actually a receptionist. Right after college, I was a receptionist at a book publishing company, and that was a really hard job because we had a 26-line switchboard that never stopped, and that was just, I was like, wow, that was, that was a lot of stress to try to keep all those lines straight and keep all the people straight, but I learned a lot about book publishing, which was excellent, and, you know, I... I went to school for writing, so I always thought, you know, maybe I'll be a writer, so that's why I wanted to work at a book publishing company. And after working there for a little bit, I said, um, you know, I, it, traditional book publishing, it just wasn't, wasn't where my passion was, so I went on to advertising. So I worked at a small ad agency. That was amazing, and that's when I really 
understood the value of pitching. The adrenaline, the fun of going in as part of a team and pitching against the biggest ad agencies in New York, Saatchi and Saatchi, the hugest companies, and sometimes winning. Many times not winning, absolutely not winning many of the times. Uh, but every now and again, you would go in and you would pitch better and you'd be more compelling and you would win. And I loved, I loved the adrenaline of it. I loved the challenge of it. And that's sort of how I learned how to pitch and how I learned how to sell was, was at that ad agency. And then from there, um, Cheetah Mail. Yay. And how about, so how about how long between, how long in New York City before you started at Cheetah Mail about? It was about 10 years it took to get okay. to Cheetah. Let's talk a little bit about um, your uh, the actual product that you offer and what what you're doing. Um, the 15 second pitch and, and it is is this synonymous with like an elevator pitch? Is that is that what you're kind of covering, or is it specifically about getting employed, or is it have you branched out into kind of just pitching your company, pitching your business, pitching your product, that kind of a thing? Well, in 2002, I, I started the company with my partner, Jim. Jim is a tech guy, so he built the website. He built all the technology. And I was the person who would go to all these networking events and the person who would do the PR, the marketing, um, all of that sort of thing, and do the client sessions. So, so what it is is, you know, at the time, in 2002, when people would think of an elevator pitch, they would think of a two-minute elevator pitch. Right. And now everybody listening is like, are you kidding me? Two minutes? That's an eternity. <laughs> That's forever. <laughs> two minutes? Unless you're Tony Robbins, you're not going to engage somebody for two minutes. You're really not. Okay? So we decided, and my partner Jim is a typical tech guy in many ways, and it's a good thing because tech guys like to barricade themselves in their offices and they like to code. That's their thing. They like Very, to, you know, dark rooms. Mountain Dew bottles and thin pizza boxes everywhere. Slip the food under the door. Don't knock. Just slip the food under the door. And so he hated, he despised networking. He hated it. So one night we're talking, and, you know, we both said there needs to be an easier way. Because if you're a tech person speaking to non-technical people, there's a total disconnect. Yeah. No, you know, no. you start talking about Oracle backends, and they're like, what? You know, they have no idea. So we said there has to be a 15-second pitch so your messaging is consistent, so people understand it, so that networking is less painful. And, and then what it led into is my clients use the pitch for everything. It's hilarious. So I'll work with somebody to create a pitch so that they'll get a better job. Boom. They get the better job, and I'll think, oh, you know, that's fantastic. And they'll say, well, I still want to work with you because there are a bunch of other things I think the pitch could work for, like getting my son to take out the trash or getting my wife to agree to move to this smaller house. So they just start thinking about all these applications that perfect messaging is going to help them with. So I've done pitches for people who got divorced. They got sick of answering the question, you know, oh, what happened? 
So we did, you know, we put together messaging for that. But for the most part, it's job seekers. It's helping people get that full-time gig that they want. And it's for small business owners. Those are the two types of people that I work with the most. And it's all about that consistent messaging. And for job seekers, here's the thing. There are so many qualified candidates right now that when you walk into that room and you sit down in the chair and they say, so, Rob, tell me about yourself. Right. And I knew when people would ask me that a long time ago, I knew it was done. I knew I couldn't, I couldn't answer that question. Cause tell me about yourself. It's too big. But what my clients learn to do is answer that question in a way that really um, spotlights their experience and really focuses on what makes them the best. So they really own that interview, and they put themselves in a great position to get the job. So, so they hire you. How do you actually? How does the process work? They hire. They hire you on a, like a, a monthly. Do you have a contract? How does the whole thing work? What I've done recently, I used to have these packages because I, I like to. I'd love to have two months with someone. I would love that because we can get so much done in two months. And I really like to gear them up so they never have to look for a job again. That's my goal. I never want you to have to suffer through looking for a job for a year um, because we're going to build your network. I'm going to be relentless and keep chasing you to build that network. So I used to have these packages that would be for a few months, and then when the economy tanked yet again um, around last year, people would say to me, you know, I just I really don't have the money. I really want to work with you. What can you do? So I actually started offering three-session packages for people because they're afraid to make the commitment. And I would, I would do three sessions with them, and they just keep re-upping, you know. But they feel okay because, you know, worst-case scenario, if they have to take a few weeks off, they can do it. They don't want to be locked in to that typical coaching scenario where it's, you know, 500 bucks a month for a lot of these coaching programs. Right. They just want to pay – you know, for three sessions, and, and that seems to be working for people. That's good. So it's so, flexible, basically. And you, and you do a lot of your work either online or over the phone, too, or how's that go? I do 90% of my work over the phone, mm-hmm. um, mainly because I'm in Oneida, New York right now. Mm-hmm. and um, But I, I have clients around the world. So I can work with them over the phone. When I was in New York, people would pay a premium. You know, if you want to spend 250 bucks to hang out with me, and, and I would have them buy me dinner too. It sounds horrible, but I'm like, you know what? I only have so much time, and we might as well squeeze a meal out of it. So we would go to a place called, we'd go to a place called a Barking Dog and, you know, have dinner. Plus, they'd get a little more time, too. It wouldn't be just an hour. It would be more like two hours. So, they, you know, they get a lot of value out of it. Sure. No, that's, I mean, people like that nowadays. You know, they, they want to have it be, um, you know, not necessarily professional or biz, business-like. And you have to get out of the office. I don't know about you, but whenever you want to get anything done, you, you have to get away from the office and the phones and the computers. Not that they don't come with us everywhere now, but... It's just nice to be out of the office in an atmosphere that's more casual and you can maybe get a little more uh, 
kind of information from people to help you make judgments and stuff like that. Uh, that's a great idea, doing, doing it over uh, over dinner. Now, you say for now, are you headed back to, to New York City, or are you set up pretty good in upstate New York now for a while? I have a really nice apartment here. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's tough. Um, but as you know, it's a challenging economy in upstate New York right now. You have in sure. New York City, I have a 20-year uh, list of contacts. I have a big, fat network of people in New York. There's a big density of people in New York, so it's a lot easier in some ways. Um, but here, the cost of living is cheaper. I don't have sirens driving me crazy every moment of the day. Yeah, it's it's so good. I can't even tell you. It's so good not to have to deal with that. So I am here for the next few months, and I will probably be going back um, in September. Is probably when I'll go back. But right now, I have the best of both worlds because I can go, I can stay with friends, I can stay with clients, and I get to be a tourist in the greatest city in the world, and I don't have the burden of paying rent there. Right. Yeah, that's expensive down there. No doubt about it. And, and and you don't have to drive that far away from New York City to, you know, the to where the prices start to drop. You know, almost as soon as you're off the island. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, that's I, I've always I've always been. Of course, you know I. I'm I'm not uh, trying to talk people out of New York City, but I've always thought that it's it was you know, of course. Me and my partners were typically too far ahead of the curve, so we would kind of have to wait for the wave to, to catch us again. But we, we for decades were saying it's good to do it's good to do business and be in kind of a rural location where your dollar buys you more, and then and then you go to the to the bigger city to generate your revenue, and, and then you come home at the end of the day. Um, just be from a cost perspective, you know, even finding people who are willing to to do, you know, small tasks or whatever. It's just there's more people in New York City, but there's more competition for everything. Yes. Whether it's people or space or office space or, or whatever, we had, had we had some space bartered out with uh, down on Wall Street actually. Um, what was the organization called? It was something to do with um, uh, Asian Americans or so with some organization, and they had a they had a space. Uh, I forget what the address was on Wall Street, and we bartered the space out, and even that was too expensive because. You know, it's like our rates were kind of, you know, for New York City, our rates were low. And so, you know, we had to be working 30 hours a week to barter off the time that we had traded for this space so that we could have a place on Wall Street. And eventually we dropped that altogether. But um, uh, that was right down there looking right at the, uh, uh, looking, uh, oh, Lord, I can't even remember. Uh, across the street, the uh, the trading not the NASDAQ. What am I saying here? Help me out, Laura. Uh, you are thinking are of... Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, New York Stock Exchange. Oh, wow. How about that? Oh, I'm not old. I'm not 43. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what the New York Stock Exchange was called. <laughs> I was forgetting, too, for a second, since I don't go there <laughs> every day. pressure on you. I, like, you got to tell me now, because my mind quit. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, that was good. Anyway, it was right there. You could see that building from, from this. Uh, well, that's the most expensive office space on the planet, you know, in that area, too. No. 
I know that's why I couldn't believe this organization, which was supposedly a, a non-profit, you know, non-profit, and it was right there. I'm like, how does this even happen? If you're sometimes those people at those non-profits make more than all of us, but we won't go there. Um, yep, yep. You know, it's a fact too. So tell tell me. Um, actually, we have one minute live, and then we'll just chat for a few more minutes, and everyone can come back later and download and listen to the full show. I just want to mention again, everybody, go to lifeandhomes.com. They are in franchise mode, and if you're the kind of person that buys franchises, I'm not really qualified to sell them, but I can tell you about them. They're selling them. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool business, and uh, don't forget to visit lifeandhomes.com uh, when you get a chance. And then uh, your web address, one more time, uh, Laura, was 15secondpitch.com. There you go. And uh, once we go... Uh, offline from the live stream, uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you a little bit about your next venture that you have. Looks like you said it's in beta version. Uh, yes. Looks like I actually went there. It looks like there's a website ready to go and all that. So we'll just um, kill 60 more seconds here, and then we'll talk about that. Um, you speak at a company called Women Ties. What? What is, are you? Um, is that a? Um, uh, that's, that's a local a local networking group that is excellent for women entrepreneurs in central New York. Cool. Is it womenties.com? Yes. So W-O-M-E-N and then T-I-E-S.com. Anybody who's listening. Yes. You actually generated one of your, one of your uh, clients out of that speaking engagement? Yes, a woman by the name of Laura Ponticello. And, and she's a fantastic client that I met through Women Ties. Cool. Oh, is that in Albany? Um, that was in Fayetteville that I met her. Oh, the Women Ties is, is is they travel around, and then you do another one in Albany, May nineteenth. Yeah, I'll, I'll speak for them in Albany. It's they're going to open a new chapter in Albany. Okay, that's cool. Um, okay, we're uh. We just went off live stream, so like I say, we'll just chat for a couple more minutes and just gives everyone a reason to come back and download it after the live show. Um, so anybody who uh, – hold on one second, Laura. Okay. So, yeah, so let's talk about kind of more like in the future sort of things. You have another project that you're working on that's coming out. Tell me about that. It is called The Pitch Girl, and it is um, – because 15-second pitch – Right now, we you know we built the website in 2002, and there needs to be a lot of work done on it. So uh, my partner is fixing up the website right now. He's going to put up a you know under construction page or whatever it is, and I'm going to focus on uh, the Pitch Girl, which is going to be a lower cost offering. So this will be my kind of you know cheaper label brand. Um, you know, Isaac Mizrahi does his lower-priced uh, version of his clothing at Target, and this will be my lower-priced version because on 15secondpitch.com, it's $175 an hour to work with me. And the pitchgirl.com, we're going to have some really good special offers, time-limited. So I'll do a teleseminar, and they'll have until midnight that night to sign up but they might get three one-hour coaching sessions for 199 bucks. Uh-huh. So it really, it really rewards the people that are ready to say yes at that moment. 
And I think it really, you know, I don't want to just work with the people that have a ton of cash on hand because right now people just don't have the money. So it's it's good karma if I help people out, and also those people will refer ten clients to me if if they like me, if I help them, and if I do it for a price that they can afford, they're going to send a bunch of people my way. So I think it's a win-win. Yeah, sure, absolutely. That that uh, we actually do something. We used to do something similar. I mentioned I worked for an email uh, in the email marketing industry, and we had a lot of. Um, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer that you have a whole small offering of things that are either very cheap or free um, just to establish, you know, a base uh, as well as uh, a network. Um, when we started our business, we didn't have the network. We started 15-plus years ago. We didn't have a network. We were from upstate New York. We were looking at how we got, how we could get more into New York City and, um, you know, pretty much have to... Pretty much, unless you have the network there already, you have to live there because you got to be, you know, you got to be sipping on martinis on Thursday and Friday in order to get. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> what we found. Can't wait to get and, back uh, there. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Out of sight, out of mind. But you know, the internet helps a lot with that. Absolutely. Yeah. This was before that got big too. That's a good point because uh, had we had the internet and this networking thing, I tell people all the time through my cyber village. Cybervillage.com, um, or or Google Author Cybervillage, or Google Model Cybervillage, which is a scale model kind of a club. You know, I, I I met somebody who's I've had on the show numerous times. She she was a co-author for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Um, I mean, I've met a lot of people that you might think, well, you know, the social networking people think of it as a kind of a game thing. They play games with it. You know, they who's doing this, who's doing that, and oh, look at me, I have three thousand friends. I'd rather have 200 really good, high-quality people that I'm networking with. And, um, me too. And that's uh, that's how it's kind of shaken out for me. I've, I've added significant people to my my own network through the uh, through the social networking and, and the Ning-based platforms and and what I call Cyber Village, which of course I control. So <laughs> I'm not just a member uh, of a thing. I, I, I and I tell clients this all the time. You know what? Sure, go be part of someone else's social network, do the Facebook pages, and drive traffic. But ultimately, you should also, it's, in this day and age, it's not that difficult to own your own social network and be the top of that sort of lead generation system. And so what if it only added up to, you know, I've probably got about 1,000 members in their total. Uh, in the, in the, I've got probably three or four active social networks. One upstate New York, it's Mohawk Valley Cyber Village. You can Google that. And then there's one over towards Syracuse, which is, again, it's only a few members, but it's so easy to set these things up. You know, I tell people all the time, why don't we set up uh, your own social network, which means people will post post blog articles and comments and this and that, and basically you, you gain from it because the, the more, as you might know, content is king for Google. You want to yes. get um, content that's related to your business, get out there and start a social network but also grow it using the other social networks. I'm not saying don't do that, right? Um, but, yeah, this, this whole social networking and the Internet um, probably would have helped us a lot back in the uh, 15 years ago when we started our business. <laughs> but you know what? You learned You learned the hard way. You learned cool. by actually going and talking to people and meeting people face-to-face, -face, which you still have to do to close yeah. a lot of these deals. Right, exactly. 
yeah, it's a good thing to get your foot in the door with the whole online thing, but but you really need to, you really want to uh, compete with people, and you got to do the face-to-face, -face, so there's no doubt about it. And that'll be forever. E even with the video conferencing, that that adds a, that's good too. But there's just something about that face-to-face. -face. Some people just insist on it, and and I kind of do. I kind of, I'm kind of caught in the middle there, you know, because I like the tech stuff and, and I like the the video conferencing and the go-to meetings. But there's also something to be said for a good old-fashioned face-to-face to sit down and have a cup of coffee and that kind of thing. You can always tell when somebody's trying to pull one over on you when you're face-to-face. -face. <laughs> That's right. You learn a lot about a person. Are they going to answer their cell phone six times while you're sitting here for a oh, half-an-hour yeah. meeting? That's a good Things one. Things like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as if to say you're not important enough. I have more important things to do. Right. They're going to check their BlackBerry 16 times. Yeah. They're going to be rude to the waiter. You know, you, you, yep. you pick yep. up on these things, you know? Uh, yep, that's a big one, too. Sure, rude to the help. Yeah, that's a big no-no. But, yeah, you do learn a lot from people's inflection in, in the lives and stuff. So. Um, so what are your goals? What are your business goals over the next month or year or so? My business goals are to – I would like to have 20 – new clients a month. Wow. That is my goal. Um, because what I do right now is very, it's very custom. So I am trading hours for dollars, as they say right now. It's a coaching model. So people call me up and they spend however much they spend for an hour of my time. Um, that's what I'm doing right now, but that's what people need right now. And at the same time, I'm also going to be building group coaching programs because, you know, it would be so easy for people to spend 25 to $50 a month to get in on a group coaching program. Um, and, you know, just different layers and different levels of service. And then eventually have a workbook, a 15-second pitch workbook that people can fill in the blanks and they can create their own networking strategy and follow-up strategy and, and just go from there so that they're always building up that network. You know, the moment you get that job, guess what? You need to be networking for the next job. Right. You know, boo, hiss. People hate to hear that. But the reality is we're not, we're not going to work for the same employer for 20 or 25 years like our parents did. It's not going to happen. True. So we need to be pitching for the next opportunity always. Wow, that's true. That's very true. And that applies, and a lot of these rules apply whether you're working for other people or you're working out on your own. You, gotta, you, have to, you just can never, even when you're, you know, your funnel's full, you've got to keep it full. So somebody, you know, you think you got a good gig, and then before you know it, it you know, gets pulled out from under you, and then you didn't do the work to be prepared for that, and now you're back into now you're set back ten years. That's the thing that I really anybody who's listening to this, if you think you have a good sweet gig, listen to me twice as carefully, because those are the people that really suffer when they get that pink slip, and yeah. you know the company gets sold. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times. It, it, it's no fault of your own, and you just don't expect it. And those are the people that are totally caught off guard because then they're playing catch-up. Mm -hmm. As opposed to my clients who are like, oh, man, I better get on LinkedIn and Facebook and, 
and check out who I know. They know their value. They know what they bring to the table. They've been going to networking events consistently. They can reach out to that network, and they're not going to say, oh, hey, dude, you know, I just got let go. Let me know if you hear of anything. Eh, never going to happen. What they're going to say is, as you remember, uh, well, you know, I was working at Goldman Sachs, and things were good, and I was pulling down a little bit of cash, and um, company got bought by the Japanese or whatever it is. Here's what I'm doing now. Here's what I bring to the table now. Job seekers fail to do that at an alarming rate. And it it just doesn't benefit you to send out that email that everybody's sending out. Oh, hey, Rob, let me know if you hear of anything. You know what? Rob's never going to hear of anything because he's already got people in his family and in his close network that he's thinking about. Those are the first people he's going to connect, not you, someone that he worked with five years ago. Never going to happen. Wow, good point. Yeah. Don't, don't yeah, ever, this is this is my this is my thing because I just I see so many really good people who've done all the right things over the years and they get blindsided because they didn't they didn't take that extra time and energy to protect themselves and build up their own network. Your network is something that no one, no employer, nobody can ever take away from you. And people start businesses and decide to sell businesses or, you know, the business doesn't work out and then you go get a full-time gig or vice versa. So what you were saying is you need to do it for both instances. You need to always be pitching for your next full-time gig for an employer or to get business for yourself if you're running your own business or if you're a freelancer or a consultant. Good stuff, actually. Like I said, it applies whether you're 9 to 5 or even if you, you know, you're out there working on your own, you've you got to be prepared for the next thing that comes around. And you don't want to, you really don't want Actually, when you said it, when you said that, the, you know, um, you have to always be thinking about what the next one is, it, Kind of in my heart, I was like, I kind of went, oh God, really? And, and you know, but I mean, it's absolutely true. It's one hundred percent true because, like I say, you see it in business all the time. You got, you get a great account. It's a big account. You think, oh, this is the, you know, this is the sugar daddy account here. And then, you know, then you don't work hard enough on more accounts. And then before you know it, that first account moves on, and there you are standing there with, you know, like like you said, you're unprepared. Um, Never assume that the next thing is going to be as good, or that the one that you have isn't going to isn't going to, like you say, just get purchased. Something as simple as getting purchased, which happens all the time. The first thing the people that buy it do is bring in all their, like you said, their network comes in and moves in, and then you're out in the cold. Right. So, right. That's all great advice, and um, I just want to. So we have um, the 15 second pitch. You also have the PitchGirl.com, which I don't know. You said it's in beta. It looks like it's a nice full. Here. Um, but it's, uh, you can sign up for the pitch tips there on the home page. Uh, I assume you're using Cheetah Mail for that? I am not <laughs> using Cheetah Mail for that. Game on you. <laughs> Cheetah Mail, let me tell you something about Cheetah Mail. Cheetah Mail is still an enterprise level player. Right. So oh, yes. There, there, there are a lot of lower cost players out there that, know. you know. I but know, when I, I get know. big enough, when I get big enough, yes, cheat yeah, out always. The <laughs> <laughs> there you uh. go. Um, all right, so everybody go sign up for the pitch tips, as uh, Laura calls them. Laura Allen is the pitch girl and 15-second pitch. 
and it was good to have you on the show. You are a great guest. I appreciate your time, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll have you on again sometime. Anything you want okay, to say? Thank you, Rob. Video? All right, sure thing, Laura. Okay, take care. All right, bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.